Hello and welcome to a special edition of the 41 Files podcast produced by the 41 Action News Studios. I'm joined by uh, digital producer Sam Hartle. This is Taylor Hymnus with a special edition for you today. Sam, this is not something we get to do on a regular basis. Well, Mother's Day only comes by once a year, right? Yeah. So special occasion this weekend with Mother's Day holiday and a topic that, um, gosh, it's, it's, it's hard to describe what this, what this podcast is about today. Uh, but we really, really would love for you to give it a listen because we had some special moms in for this Mother's Day on a special episode. All of these women that are speaking to us on this edition of 41 Files have been touched by tragedy. All of these women that you're going to hear from today are the mothers of children who chose to take their own lives. And it's a story that's really, it's a set of stories that will take your breath away, that will bring a tear to your eye, but it also has uh, a bit of hope there from all three of these moms that can tell you about what they have been through um, individually, what they've been through together as a group, the support they've given to one another. Uh, it's a tough topic to talk about, but such an important one uh, because uh, it's an issue that's uh, on the rise all across the country. More and more young people are making this horrible decision, this tragic decision, uh, and these moms want to talk to us about it. So they've done incredible work moving forward after their own tragedies, and they want to share their stories with you. So we're, we're so glad that you're being able to join us for this special edition of 41 Files. We'll have a regular edition out next Wednesday as always, but for uh, this Mother's Day weekend, please um, listen to this, especially uh, with your mom or, or with your children, because it's an important message. Hello and welcome to another edition of 41 Files, a special edition. I was just told of 41 Files, and we are uh, thrilled to have you here with us to be listening to us on, on 41 Files podcast uh, as a product of 41 Action News here in Kansas City. My name is Taylor Hymnus, and I'm joined by 41 Action News reporter Jordan Betts. Hi, Jordan. Hello, desk buddy. Desk buddy. That's right. You sit right across <laughs> from me, and this is your day off, so we're glad you're here taking a, taking part of your day away from well, work thank you. Happy and coming into work. Friday slash Sunday for me. That's right. It's, Friday, it's Friday-ish for Jordan Betts. Uh, we have three very special guest in studio with us today for this special edition of our 41 Files podcast. And if you would, since you've done the story with three, I'd love for you to introduce them to us. These are some awesome ladies, my awesome Johnson County ladies. Okay, first one is Sylvia. Can you say hello? Hello. She's Chad's mom. And then we have BJ. Say hello. Hello. Reagan's mom. And then we have Jan Mars, who is Lane's mom. Good morning. You guys sound great for first-timers. I like it. <laughs> We're so glad to have all three of you here with us today to, to talk about a really important topic. Thank you for taking time out of your very busy schedules. I know some of you have been traveling. You said you just got back from New York, I think, Sylvia. So it's you're very, very busy people, and so we're glad to have you here and take some time with us. Um, if you're not familiar with Jordan Betts' story, uh, Jordan did a story, I guess, in January is when you did that story? Uh, late January, Late yeah. January. Jordan did a story for 41 Action News uh, talking about— It really about all started back, though— in September, though, okay, this whole thing started. This is the story itself is about teen suicide, and mm-hmm. all three of the moms here with us, uh, unfortunately, have a teenager who was lost to suicide. But how did this start back in September, Jordan? Where did this yeah, all get started? So I was at a walk. I just thought it was your normal Friday Saturday walk that I go to, um, which if you're a weekend reporter, you know you go to a lot of walks. And I was introduced to Jan first, and Jan kept saying her daughter's name as we were doing this interview, talking about teen suicide, and I kept thinking. I feel like I know her daughter in some sort of way. And so afterwards, I asked her, I said, did your daughter make national news or something like that? And she said, well, my daughter went to the University of Arkansas, and it just all clicked. Her daughter— Because you used to work in Arkansas, right? Uh, I 
no. No, you lived in Arkansas. I lived uh, I'm sorry, from I got Arkansas. Backwards. Yeah. You lived in Arkansas. And I went to the University of Arkansas, and Jan's daughter and I were in the same sorority. Okay. And I had heard about Jan's daughter, and I had heard about Lane, and then I met the other two ladies while I was interviewing, and something just like stirred up in me that was like, I have to do something about this. Yeah. And that's kind of when our great group text and friendship started, I guess. So. So obviously we're going to be uh, talking about some some sensitive topics today, but I want to start by giving you all a chance because sadly the the form of television news most of the time is stories don't get a chance to really talk a whole lot about some parts that are really important to the story. And Jordan only had so much time to tell all three of your stories as best she could. And she Thanks, did a, Taylor. She, you helped me with that. No, she, she did a masterful <laughs> job with it, did a fantastic job. But I want to give you each a, a couple minutes here if you'd like to talk about your children that we're talking about today. Jan, if it's okay, I'd like to start with you and tell us about Lane and tell us who she was. So uh, Lane was brilliant, creative, and athletic, so covered basketball, soccer, um, a great artist, um, and was going to Arkansas almost on a full ride to be an engineer. Um, And so, you know, someone we were very proud of, very happy about, but, um, you know, her senior year, we started seeing some signs of depression and, in fact, discovered that she had full-blown PTSD, Um, took her in to get counseling, tried to get started getting her help um, and found out, unfortunately, that she had been insulted when she was 15 and felt somehow that she was strong enough just to deal with that on her own. And by hiding it and not speaking about it with her friends, um, it got much worse. And so as I talk to teens, I always encourage them as they start to feel these things, make sure they reach out and get help early Mm -hmm. before it gets way too difficult for them to handle, which eventually is what happened with Lane. That's a choice that so many people make of all ages whenever um, a a terrible thing happens to them is to not talk about it. Lane was your oldest child, I assume? Yes, Lane was my oldest daughter. She died at the age of uh, 18. 18 years old. Um, VJ, I want to move over to you because just we're moving down the line here. Please tell us about about Reagan and who she was. Um, Reagan is the youngest of my two biological children. And she was just a little firecracker from the moment she was born. She was independent, and I'm going to do things my way and all on my own. And she just was not your average teenage 16-year-old girl. She loved to race four-wheelers. That was her passion. She traveled the entire country racing and was on track to participate in it's an invitation-only fastest woman in the U.S. Wow. race in regards to four-wheeler racing. Not my thing. <laughs> I, mama couldn't watch. Right. It just um, it really stressed me out, and I always said, that is going to be what kills you. And so it was really hard for me to go to the races and support her that way. I'm just like, just text me when you're done. Tell me how you did. I don't want to know the details. Yeah. But, um, sweet, kind. Um, one of the funniest kids I've ever known in my life, um, full of sarcasm. She came by it naturally um, and just happy. You know, she just finally had found herself and found her groove and and was just really kind of trudging through life. She was as a junior in high school working to get her CNA and was taking CNA classes in the mornings before her regular classes started at the high school and um, was so excited that she was getting ready to take her state test for her CNA so that she could actually start working as a CNA while she was still going to school and um, was really stressed out about the test. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, what if I don't pass it? What if I do bad? And I'm like, it's not a big deal. You take it again. It's okay. Sure. And, um, 
she actually called me one day and said, I don't feel good. Something's wrong. Call me out. And I'm like, you're out of sick days. You, you can't leave school early. She was asking you to get her out of school that yes. day. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of quabbled over it. And finally I said, fine, I'll call you out. But, you know, you're out of sick days. You're going to be in trouble. This is not my problem. And she said, okay. So I called her out. Well, then she went to the doctor and she had strep. So bad mom. <laughs> she really was. <laughs> right. <laughs> and um, so, you know, we're, um, we're a divorced family. So okay. she was actually at her dad's. She wasn't at my house. And um, so I had talked to her the next day, still sick, still running a fever. Um, and then she went to her on a Thursday morning. Um, she went to her CNA class because you can't miss it. And then she went home and was going to stay home from school again that day. And she was, I was sitting at my desk working. My oldest daughter was there with me and we were having a conversation and the girls were texting back and forth. Reagan was sending her pictures of, um, the race gear she wanted for 2019. This is in December of 2017 and we were teasing her about how far ahead she was planning. And then Riley went on with her day. She had classes at Johnson County, and I went on with work. And um, that night, Riley got home from taking a final at Johnson County, and we were going to go see a movie. And um, I, throughout that evening, found out that Reagan had taken her life. So we went from... Perfectly happy, joking around, plant making plans for 2019. To a few hours later, she ended her life. On the course of the same day. On the situation. course of the same day. Sylvia, you're here to talk about Chad. Tell us about Chad. Um, you know, it. Chad Harrell was uh, the type of kid that if he was sitting here, you would just flock to him. He was funny. He was outgoing. He had a great sense of humor. The people who remember him always remember his smile. He was engaging. He definitely brought a lot of different friend groups together. He wasn't uh, just with one friend group. He was the one who, and since we've lost him, we've even found out how big his um, scope was. He was always kind. He was always engaging, even with the, even with the underclassmen. And, you know, I hope some of that goes back to me just always beating him over the head. Just said, smile at them. You know, you were you were an underclassman one time, too, and he'd roll his eyes. But now, after since losing him, I found out he really did that and has just left such a train of that kindness. But he had um, actually that week um, prior to losing him, he had gotten in trouble. Um, He made a lot of good decisions in his life. He didn't make a whole lot of bad decisions, but he had been at a party. He had um, decided to have a beer or two and drove home. His sisters told on him, and so he was suffering the repercussions of that decision, one of which was on Sunday evening of June 11th. He wasn't allowed to go to a party he wanted to go to. Um, we were sitting around because it was the Tonys that night and we were having a big family dinner making fondue, which was kind of our thing to do on a special occasion. And when he was told he couldn't go to that party, he was just angry. 
finally we just said, you know what, buddy, give us your phone. You can go ahead and go upstairs, um, which he did. Before bed, I went and checked on him, told him I loved him, gave him a kiss goodnight, which is at 1030. My husband did the same shortly after. And at 1230, I woke up. And just because he'd been such a pistol and in such a bad mood, I went to check on him and he was gone. Jan, I want to go back to you for, for just a second because you didn't get a chance to talk about the circumstances. You, you mentioned there that, that Lane was, was, was gone and how it happened. But tell us more about how you found out because uh, different from, from the two other women sitting here with you, Lane had already gone on to college. And this was not a situation you had come gone to see her. Is that correct? Yeah. So it was actually parents weekend at Arkansas and we were heading down, but it was also test week. Um, and we later found out that that was the week that Lane had – Four big tests in engineering and calculus and a variety of classes, and ultimately we're driving down terrified because starting Wednesday night, we lost contact with her, and no one had seen her or heard from her. So the drive down was terrifying, um, and when we got down there, we started calling the university and the police and saying, hey, she's nowhere to be found. Their first reaction was, it's been a couple days, check her friends. Um, we gave her a little more background around her circumstances, and they started looking for us for her and told us that they had found her parked in a hotel where she had chosen to take her life, um, where she had tried to, you know, block all signals so she couldn't be found. But ultimately, you know, that week, unfortunately for us, I think she made a decision. She'd been doing very well from a mental health perspective up until that point, senior counselor, taking all of her medication. But with all the tests and the finals, I think she thought – you know, I need to just stop my meds for a little while so that I can think clearer and I can study better. Um, and unfortunately, she was on medication that you can't do that. And so she took, went off her medication and didn't sleep for four days. And ultimately, I think that had a big impact on her mood and her decision. I, I can't help but be struck by the three of you because of the way you're able to relay these stories sitting here. And obviously, it's something you guys have done on a fairly regular basis, I'm assuming, because of the work that you're doing now, because of what happened with your children. But still, for someone that maybe didn't see your story on 41 Action News that Jordan did, it's it's got to be jarring for someone listening to this for the first time to, to hear three women sit and talk about something so tragic, so raw, so fresh in a lot of cases, as as calmly as you're able to do that. And I'm, I'm, I'm blown away. Obviously, I know you have a probably a, a ton of inner turmoil as you do that, but I'm, I'm blown away by your ability, even with Jordan, whenever, whenever she came into the story, by your ability to, to talk with that. Is that something that you're shocked at yourself that you're able to do? How, how are you able to relay these stories of such pain? Well, you have, you have Jordan's story here. This is where we garner our strength, where we garner our courage. If you have one of us in, it might be a different story. Sure. But when the three of us are together and we're with the other people who have gone through this horror and we have them there lifting us up, it is a serious boost of courage for us and how we have survived these. It's almost two years for me, almost it's going on two and a half for Jan, I mean, that is how we get our inspiration. We look and say, oh, you know, she's she's doing that. I can do that. And how we've really gone through a lot of our days, weeks, and months with that um, support. I see a lot of head nodding from the other two of you as she's talking about that. Well, a big part of it, too, is we're not like this every day. It, it's today's your lucky day. <laughs> you know, I slept last night. That makes a big difference. But the minute Jan starts to talk about Lane's story, I break out in a sweat and I want to cry. It's, it's, 
just depends on the day and the time. And, and like Sylvia said, we do find strength in one another. So it gives us the courage. But it, at the same time, at any given moment, we can also be a puddle on the floor. It, it just kind of depends. And it's liable to happen at any moment while we're sitting here. And it's not without a cost. Sure. So we do this. And having, you know, my friends here help me get through it always helps. But I'll tell you, I almost always break down when I get done. But in the longer term, telling our story is a warning for other parents so that they don't end up, they might look for these things that they thought were commonplace in every day. They might save their kid. And I've had numerous people come to me and say, listen, I listened to what you said. We did something different and this saved someone. And so we do this so that we can make sure we say no one else joins this awful parents club with us. Um, And ultimately, long term, I think that helps make us stronger and helps us heal with the thought we may not have been able to save our kid, but maybe we can save somebody else. And with that goes, um, we have to go out and we have to engage in the world again. We have to be, you know, we have to make you comfortable talking to us because if we were breaking down the whole time, you wouldn't be. But we walk a real fine line of um, putting our strength forward to do the good works we're after and trying to balance um, being able to convey our pain because what we worry about or what I worry about, especially with so many of these kids having these thoughts of, you know, know, life is hard and I'm just going to give up on it. They know us. They knew how close our family was. They knew Chad. They knew... um, what our rock he was in our family. And they look at us and say, oh, Mr. and Mrs. Harrell are doing okay. See, my parents could get through this or my family could get through this. And sometimes that's a little scary for us because you're not seeing what who we are when we leave and when we're at home and when we're navigating our every day when every day is just a bear to get through. So we navigate you know, putting our best foot forward to help our causes, but still let people know who are thinking of things like this, that you leave a trail of devastation. It is not something that we get over. It's something we battle through every single day. Jordan, I remember you being really affected by this interview when you came back. I mean, and how can you not be? I'm sitting here, you can't not be by talking to these three amazing women. Um, What are your recollections from when you got through with the interview and hearing these stories for the first time and trying to do the interview and tell the story? A lot of it made me think about when I was in high school and the thoughts that I would have when I was, when I was bullied in high school and how, you know, I was a little different than a lot of other kids because I had ADHD and, and I had um, some neurosurgery issues. And I kept thinking there were so many times where I thought, you know, if I left this world, I don't think anyone would care. I truly don't think anyone would care. But then I think about what these women go through, and I'm like, I could never put my family through something like that. And then you kind of, I kind of go through that, and then that's what sparked me to go, I don't want anyone, any kid to feel what I felt. And that's where I find my strength to do something with these women because no one should ever feel that pain, especially your parents as well. So obviously the, the reason the three of you continue to 
do things like this and share your story is to try and make sure and do everything in your power. I can I can tell just by speaking to you that uh, it doesn't happen to anyone else, and you're doing everything you can to make sure that that circle goes as wide as it possibly can. Jordan detailed in her story uh, the the number of uh, how how teen suicide is still such a large problem across the United States. Kansas and Missouri have I think both in the top fifteen. Right, yeah, from your Miz- story? Uh, Kansas is thirteen. Uh, Missouri is thirteenth, and Kansas is fifteenth. As far as Arkansas. the rate, Arkansas uh, is in the middle. So mm-hmm. something else because the, the the main topic of these conversations obviously is um, the health of, of young people. I want to ask if I can because um, we haven't had a chance to talk about this in the story, specifically how the, the deaths of your of your children affected your other children because that's something – this obviously it's the health of young people we're talking about and all three of you can speak to this about after something like that happens, how that affects a young person uh, who was related to these beautiful people that are gone. Yeah, that's a perfect question because I know that they can they, – they all have younger children. This really yeah. affects teens so much. I, oh, everyone's uh, looking at me, so I guess I'm <laughs> BJ, you're first. <laughs> um, it's interesting. I So I have an older daughter. Um, actually, um, me, uh, Sylvia and I are very similar in that she – our oldest children are the same age. Okay. Um, and both college students. And um, they've both reacted to this differently, but the same. Mm-hmm. I, they're both older than, than their siblings? So they're, okay. they're both uh, 21. Well, Mel's 21. Riley will be 21 in a couple of months. Um, Mel's kind of taken a different angle than, than Riley, my oldest, in that Riley's kind of shut down a little bit. It's kind of thrown her off track. She was in college and then um, has stopped taking college classes. She wants to get back to taking college classes. But it it kind of paralyzed her a little bit in trying to figure out now what she wants to do with her life. Um, it, she's completely changed directions in what her plan was. Um, but at the same time, she doesn't like having this conversation. She doesn't like that. I find strength in sharing the story. Um, she doesn't want to talk about it. And and she we talk, but she doesn't want that to be the basis of all conversations. And for me, that's really hard because it's what I live and breathe every day. And I feel like it's my job to share this story so that other parents don't experience it. And And that's in talking to every single person that I meet throughout my day. And... She doesn't want it to be that way. So it's it's kind of hard to find that balance of what works for her and what do I need to do to feel like, number one, I'm honoring Reagan, and number two, I'm serving my community and doing what I feel like I've been called upon to do. But we do have – I have two younger children, 12 and 13. Well, wrong. 13 and 14. <laughs> it's a lot um, of kids. It's fine. I know. Um, they're my stepchildren. And it's been interesting to see them. They really don't like to talk about it very much either, but I've watched their struggles and how it's kind of made them step back and look at situations at school a little bit differently and um, be more willing to talk about their feelings and when they're having a bad day and and just ask questions. I mean, for them, yes, they had lost an, an a grandparent or a great aunt or an or, older relative. Yes. But to lose someone that's young and getting them to understand that and understanding that we're doing this for a greater purpose. We're trying to take a really horrible thing and make it good. 
um, that's really hard for them to understand. And I have a younger daughter who, I don't know how you can say this, but the timing could not have been worse. So she was a freshman um, going into her sophomore year. I think she probably would have said she had the world at her feet. You know, competitive cheerleader, lots of friends, great grades. Life was going along just as she'd probably always dreamed, and it got completely derailed that fall when she lost her sister. She and Lane were close. She and Lane were very close, very close, particularly that summer. As Lane struggled that summer with the mental health, Carly kind of put some of her friends aside and said, my sister needs me, and I'm going to be her best friend. So they had a wonderful summer together before Lane died. So when Lane did die, she was devastated. And it was interesting to watch her go through the grief process, which she seemed to do weirdly fast her first year. And then um, she, what we finally figured out later for the rest of the school year, she was pretty much in denial. She pretty much acted like, well, my sister's off at college and, you know, I just like everybody else and she could stay in denial. But then when it became the end of her sophomore year and Lane didn't come home, she really began to struggle. Um, and so started in counseling, group counseling, multiple counselors, medications, doctors, et cetera. Um, but what was different about Carly is she'd learned a lesson from Lane and that it was really important for her to talk about her struggles and to tell us when things weren't going well. Um, and I think it's made her a very resilient kid because when something didn't work, she would say it didn't work and I'm sad and it's not going well, but I'm going to try something else and I'm going to keep trying something else until I find what works. Um, and so it's been really tough on her. But I'm telling you, I have probably one of the most resilient 18-year-olds I've ever seen now at this point um, and have every confidence in her as she heads off to college. That's oh. got to give you strength, too, to watch her mm-hmm. deal with it in her own way with, with the amount of, I guess, strength that she's doing so and resiliency and able to say, nope, this isn't working. I'm going to try something else. Yeah, and she continues to do that, although I'll tell you, it is getting to a point that's giving me really serious heart palpitations on a regular basis because she's heading off to University of Arkansas where Wayne yeah. went. and. Uh, you know, we've had lots of conversations about it, and ultimately that's my husband and I to deal with because I think she'll do quite well. Um, but the pa- last time we did this, it didn't go so well. So right. it's something we will continue to struggle with over the summer. Sylvia? And I think that um, what you're hearing the now that Carly talks about it, Chad would never talk about anything. I mean, when he was two years old, it's, I do it, I do it, I do it. <laughs> and it never changed. I mean, it never changed that when he had these serious struggles going on, we would have no insight because he would never have shared it. So our biggest, there's a lot of heartbreak, but our biggest heartbreak is he didn't give us a chance to help. Now when we hear of families like the Mars are and with Carly engaging and telling her feelings, right there, that is a bonus. That is a we're on the right path yeah. to help these kids because the ones we see, the ones that didn't put it out there, that didn't give you the, the opportunity to help them and discuss them, are a lot of the ones that we see that make this tragic decision because even though Chad thought he could do it, it was bigger than he was. So that that in itself is heartbreaking watching what has gone on, the three of us actually um, worked with some local therapists and put together a teenage support group um, of siblings and children of suicide, um, suicides. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well thought out. We thought it would be um, raving success. 
we only had a few kids there at a time because these teenagers, these siblings who lose someone, they have to get through it, but they just want to be normal. Yeah. They don't want to be singled out. They don't want to be talking about their feelings. Yet if they're not talking about them, then we have the catastrophes that we've experienced. Sure. So going forward, all three of us have a mission on helping those left behind. And it's hard. I mean, it's hard with regards to Melanie, my daughter who's in college. I have been incredibly grateful that she was away. When Chad passed, we'd had a year where she was at college and he was here. So for her, it wasn't a blatant change to her every day. She was home when he took his life, but she went back to college just like her first year. So um, that helped the day-to-day struggle. From the onset, she said, just because Chad chose to end his life doesn't mean that I have to end mine. It took... It takes not. It takes every ounce of resiliency that our children, my daughter, has to endure this. Sure. Every day they're looking for a way to be better. Right after Chad, she learned to crochet just to keep her mind occupied after Chad passed. I mean, she looked for tools that could help her get through it ease her mind. She started doing yoga. She just, it's one thing after another. She's engaged in an organization at K-State called Stand Up For Your Sis, where they're helping others to um, promote conversation of struggles. She's gotten involved with that, kind of like we're doing here. So it's just tool after tool we have to put in front of these kids to help them get through. I think the older they are, they're a little more open to it. For the younger kids, we watched our fellow moms with the young kids at home and to get them to be open to these tools and that they need it and they need to talk. It's heartbreaking to watch what they go through. I want to, we'll come back in a moment to the efforts that all three of you are doing um, to work with people and try and improve on, on a more than just talking on podcasts and TV interviews, uh, the, the real nonprofit work that you're doing. I'll get back to that in a moment. But I'm curious about um, something else. As we, we sit here right now, we're, we're recording this in, in mid to late April, and school's about to end. Uh, and I, th- I think th- something that struck me about Jordan's story was, and we, we do not have to talk about the differences in how long it's been since anybody in this room was in high school. The math is all different, and we're not going to do that. Uh, but Thank you. You don't want to tell me. You don't mean to tell you how long ago no, was in I don't high school. Hear it. I don't want to hear Just it. Just like a couple years ago. But I think that it's, it's very, um, very easy for adults of any age to kind of forget the pressure that young people are under. Um, because it feels trivial once you get past it. I think you can look back on high school and go, why was I ever worried about that kind of thing? Right. But it's very easy to forget about it, how how crushing it can feel when you're 15, 16, 17, 18 years old to be living through it. I'm curious about the three of you, um, how you respond to, how you look at, how you interact with other young people differently now we're getting we're some people may hear this now that's getting ready to finish up their high school year or finish up a college year and go into the summer it's a very pressure packed time of year for young people how do you interact with young people differently who you're not related to do you do you see yourself looking at them differently interacting with them differently after this has happened yes yeah yes because um 
in our case, you know, Chad was um, anxious over thunderstorms. You know, he was anxious over flying. I mean, they were all supposed to be things that he grew out of, you know, that we just said, buddy. Um, when he had told his youth pastor that he would be sad for no reason, our response to that would have been, what do you have to be sad about? You have friends and you do great at school and you're a great lacrosse player and he loves his family and he loved his life. We would have said, buddy, what do you have to be sad about? And for things that are typical teenage things, we would have just thought they'd grow out of it. That's not our position now when we talk to kids. Our position now is it's hard to be a kid. It is uh, incredibly difficult to go through what they go through now with social media and the pressures that are put on them and that they put on themselves. When you live in an affluent community like we do, even if your parents aren't putting that pressure on you, you put it on yourself. When Chad passed, he had a 3.6 GPA and he thought he was the dumbest of the bunch because his best buddies were a grade ahead. His best buddies, you know, one of them has gone to Yale because he was supposed to go to KU with Chad. And when Chad passed, he went to Yale instead. I mean, these are, this was his norm. So even if his parents aren't putting those pressures on him, in his mind, he was thinking, I'm not, you know, I'm not as smart as they are. So our position now with the kids is it's hard to be a kid. We're here. You know, they talk a lot more than they used to. One of the lacrosse um, scholarship recipients from last year was at a function that Blue Valley North had last um last a couple weeks ago and he came up to me and he said to my husband and I he said Mrs. Harrell before Chad we never talked about when we were feeling this way we never would talk that we were having amongst these themselves kinds. he meant like talking even to each other themselves, yeah. even to their girlfriends that they were having thoughts like this he said since Chad and he was with and I keep describing her as a girlfriend I'm not even sure it was his girlfriend I'm thinking it was his girlfriend <laughs> she is he looked at her and he said and he looked at her and he nodded and, and now I'll tell her he said if I'm having thoughts like this and before we didn't do that so this is all new you know it's 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 a subtle change. You know, it's not a huge change. Instead of saying, not to worry, buddy, you'll get through it. It's like, buddy, uh, we know it's hard. How can we How can we help you get through it? And let's talk about it. It's really, really subtle. But what the kids process is we understand that it's hard and we're there to help them. Instead of, oh, my gosh, they expect me to get through it on my own. I can't. Therefore... I'm not going to. Either of you you want to add to that? I'm sorry, Jen. Yeah, so this is kind of probably more situational for me right now as I'm getting ready to send the kid off to college because we're used to being the affluent neighborhood where everybody expects you're going on to college. And not everybody goes on to college and not everybody succeeds, right? And I used to be one of those parents and we'd talk about what that next plan is and how expensive school is and how you're moving on to this other part of your life. And like you stop and go, wow, that's pressure filled just in like that two second statement. So how do you have to turn that around? Right. And so the conversations with Carly are about college are now, hey, go try that for six months. If it doesn't work, here are the 50,000 other options you have in life and college may not be one of them. There's lots of other things. So give it a try. But it's not the be all end all. And if it doesn't work, 
try something else. There's other things out for you rather than you have to get that 4-2 and you have to get that certain ACT score and you have to go on to college. There's many things out there to consider um, and be aware of them so you don't get lost in one track that if it doesn't succeed, you feel like you have nothing left. Well, and I think part of it, too, and this is what I've had to learn with Riley, is that it's okay if you don't know right now. We put this pressure on our kids that by their senior year of high school, they have to know where they're going to go to college and what they're going to major in and what they're going to do for a job. They don't know. There's so much more in the world than they've even thought about being exposed to. So why are we telling them when they're 17 or 18 years old, you have to know all of these things, you have to make a decision. And if you go to college and you start majoring in that and you change your mind, society sees You've that as a up. failure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I've had to step back and say, you know what, babe, if you don't want to, if you haven't decided yet exactly what you want to do and you just want to work until you figure it out, that's okay. I'm okay with it. But it's having middle schoolers. It's also been reprogramming my husband to say, are you really upset that they got a C on that test? Or is it that you feel like they didn't put in enough effort? And so my mantra to our kids has been, I don't care what grade you get on the test. As long as you studied and you did your very best, that's okay. And if a C was the best you could do, I'm okay with that. The only time I have an issue is if you blew it off and you didn't try your best. Other than that, I don't care. Anything you're going to go try, give it your best. And if you don't like it or you're not good at it, that's okay. And I think that's where we have to kind of change that approach with kids because not only are parents parenting that way, but our schools are doing that as well. We're telling our kids, you know, you have to be the best. You have to decide. You have to have the best score. You have to you have to be involved in all these things. You have to, at a sophomore in high school, be building your resume so you look good to colleges. It's just way too much. And I think all three of you, in some form or fashion, there mentioned the, the word affluent because you know you all three live in, in Johnson County, and I, I think it's something that uh, is more apparent to young people now. The comparison part of mm. when I compare myself to my classmate or to the person I go to church with or that I whatever, it's easier to do. Because I I know where they live, I know how much this costs, I see what their sister drives, all this kind of stuff. I don't remember knowing that much about what my my classmates' financial situations was or having a good idea about it when I was in school. And now it seems to be something that's much easier to do. I think that you guys, I know that you guys could talk for days about how you're different about how you're different as moms, how you're different as people. I'm really interested in giving you a chance to talk about what you're doing now moving forward. You're all doing nonprofit things that are trying to really take what has happened to you and say, this is what I'm doing about it. This is how I want to try and make this not happen. I'd love to hear what you guys are doing individually as as you move forward. Um, And, you know, we are individually as we move forward. We're teaming up a lot more too Mm -hmm. um, because – each of us, when we put together our foundations or join foundations, we try to target something that could have helped our kid. There's been people who said, why don't all you people just join your foundations and make some some big splash? Well, 
what Chad's issues were might not been the same issues that Lane had. So we can target what could have helped our kids in conjunction with doing things on a community or more global basis. So Keep the Spark Alive is the name of our foundation. It was um, It's a play on Chad's nickname from the lacrosse team, Spark Plug, which we didn't even know because I, he's a boy. So, you know, he never talked. He never would tell us these things, which... You know, we laugh now, but for me, that's heartbreaking, right? Because that's everybody expects that from their boys. And now when he didn't do that, he couldn't handle what was on his heart, right? So, but um, as spark plug, he was always there to lift up the team. When they were down, they were losing. He was the one who was encouraging him, give him, give it your all, you know, keep the spark alive as spark plug. So um, we took that concept and have put it into our foundation and our mission statement being um, awareness and prevention of teen suicide and how kids can keep the spark alive. In particular, kids that might not be someone that you would ever expect, like with Chad. So we're doing things like funding um, curriculum developments in the elementary schools, Project Happiness, that teaches kids really how to have the skills to be happy, how to talk to that negative voice in your head and say, you know, and I'm not going to listen to that voice because that voice isn't worth being listened to and teach them resiliency skills and coping skills moving forward. It's not really suicide prevention, but it's all fundamental to what our kids didn't have to navigate these dark waters. So um, that's our first mission. Our second mission is helping those left behind, helping us and helping siblings, helping children of, helping friends, this wide trail of devastation, how we help people navigate that because now we're greater at risk. We're, we're a higher risk category for suicide and we've lost, we've lost parents of. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that group text? Cause I think it's something very unusual in communities to hear about moms getting together on an app to talk about these feelings, because I know Jan and I have talked about this and each mom in that group is at a different stage. There's moms that are at several months and there's moms that are at years. Talk about the importance of that group text that you were just kind of talking about and being with those moms. So this concept, I think, started probably two or three years ago. Um, you know, right after Lane died, I had a friend show up on my doorstep um, before I even got home who had lost a child, Mindy Corporan, who had lost her son, Reed, um, and became what I beca- would call my grief mentor. And so she could tell me all the things that were going to happen to me in all of the stages and how to deal with them. And that if something was going wrong, I wasn't losing it, that, you know, there was a way to get through it. Um, and so she inspired, she inspired me and I think all these other moms to say, we need to be that person for someone else. Because if somebody loses a kid, the devastation is just unbelievable. And it causes you just to want to curl up and never come out of your closet or your bed or whatever it is. And so 
um, moms start, at, as we saw other kids, uh, parents lose kids to suicide, um, started reaching out to some of them. And eventually the group got large enough um, that some of the moms got together. We started talking and eventually created this group meet. That we started out with a group text mm-hmm. and um, ran out of number of people that could join it, I think, at 12. <laughs> and so Sylvia did some research and found us the group me app. Um, so that we could all get together and continue to talk and connect and support. I think at this point I've met most of them, but not all of them. How how many are in now? I know you've just sadly. 26. Wow. And you've added several of them recently. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we use that as a way to help support one another um, because, you know, some days I'm good, some days I'm really bad. And one of those milestones hits me at a time of year when it doesn't hit somebody else. And they can step in and say, you'll get through it and send some comforting thought or something to uplift you so that when it's your turn to be down, somebody else is up and vice versa. Because all of those milestones continue to hit you nonstop as all you miss all these important things for your kids. And so having moms who have been through it, who can help you through it, um, is just life-saving. Sorry to get off topic. No, it's just such an important thing to talk. Like just a group text. You wouldn't think of something no, like that. You didn't get off topic at all. And it's, you know, it's, I, I didn't realize that you, you mentioned Mindy Corporan. For people that aren't aware, Mindy lost her son in the Jewish campus shooting. That's that's how Reed was killed. Yes. Um, and that's been five years ago now. I think this this year it was five years. Yep. Um, I, I, something you just touched on there and something all three of you touched on a little bit when we were talking about your, your other children and how you helped with them. The idea of having to continue living life. Mm. And living life, not only living life, but living life as a spouse, as a parent, and then also trying to carry this 300-pound boulder along with you that you're doing. I'm, I'm, I'm so moved by it, and I'm, and I'm wondering about – speaking of that app, I'm wondering if there are times where you catch yourself going, I can't look at that today. If you see oh, the little, you see the little, <laughs> the little red. Weird they laugh at that. No, I mean, they go I, through it. I know you we see the little, the little real. All of the time. Right? I, I, I tell people all the time, you can put people into, uh, I think, two categories in life: the people who can have all the little red circles on their phone, and the people who can't. I am firmly one of those people that I don't understand how you can have little red notifications on all your apps and not look at them. But I'm sure there are days that you that group at me app has ten or fifteen little red circles on it. And you go, nope, I, I can't today. How do you? Do you let yourself have those days or do you think no? You have to. You have to have those days. Um, You know, when I came into this club, um, I went to a support group that is offered with Church of the Resurrection. Okay. And I was exactly one month into my journey and I was thinking to myself, how in the hell am I going to do this the rest of my life? And so I had learned about the support group for suicide survivors and... Um, we just, my husband and I decided we were going to go actually fighting on the way there about, I don't want to go to a support group. I don't want to go either. This is dumb. We're just going to go this one time so we can mark it off the list that we attempted to we do tried something. That. Yeah. yeah. And we get there and, um, two and a half hours later when we leave, I'm just, I'm blown away, not only at the people that I met, but the difference that it made and we had completely different attitudes and were very humble by the time we got in the car. But there is where I met Sylvia and Nathan. And even when we met them and Sylvia and I talked about meeting for coffee or something later in the week, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to be like these people. I'm not going to be five years down the road, still sitting around a table telling my story. And what I then learned is it's not anything like that. Um, 
but Sylvia and I went to coffee and we talked for hours. Long time. <laughs> and it just, it made me realize I'm, I'm not crazy. The feelings that I have are not weird. Like this is all completely normal. And there were so many times like Sylvia and I started texting back and forth and I would say, you know, I feel this way or I think this. And she's saying, I, yes, that's exactly how I feel. And, and finally one day she said, all of the things you say are all the same things that I feel and think. And I just don't know how to describe it to someone. So I was the person who joined the group that forced it out of a group text and into group me. Um, I was number 13, and that was in February of last year. Wow. And so just in that short time, we've grown to 26 or 27 people. Um, but, yeah, we I definitely have days that I'm like, mm, Sylvia will say, did you see that? Nope, not opening it today. Not going to touch it, can't touch it. But at the same time, I always know that they're right there, and I can reach out at any given moment. But the one thing I want to touch on, because we talk about it all the time, we have a new world and an old world. We have our still – we've – all of us have been blessed by our friends and community and the the outpouring of support and resources for our foundations. I mean, each of our foundations, you know, the people who give are the people who know us. And, you know, it's moving a little bit outside of that. But, you know, it's the love and support of this community that has given us, you know, the resource to move forward. And we're very blessed for that in that old world. Um, in our new world, we're surrounded by people who understand our grief and the depth of it, and in particular to lose a child to suicide when it was your your responsibility to get that child through childhood and it didn't work, and they made the choice not to be here. It adds that whole extra layer of guilt, of anguish, that even people who've lost children by accident or illness don't battle with like we do. So you navigate your old world and your new world, and neither world can you stay too long. In your old world, they don't understand the depth of your pain. In this new world, you are surrounded by everybody who has every bit as much pain as you. And sometimes you just have to say, I need to go back to my old world and have some just respite from this world. So all of us continue to navigate that journey and the balance is key to how you move forward. Waffling in both those worlds, a foot in each of them. Sure. What did you call it this morning? The normal. That sounded very normal. And I'm like, what is normal? I, <laughs> we, don't, we don't really navigate the normal world very well anymore. Sure. With good reason, I understand that. It feels like a good time to remind people the phone number for the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, 1-800-273-8255. Um, I'm hoping we have a lot of listeners for this, people that hear this, and you you can't hear this and not be spurred by the three of you. You're incredible, and the, the message you have to share is incredible. If someone hears this and says, I have to help these women do whatever they're trying to do, how can people help you? How can Is there a way to to donate to causes? What can people do to help you try and continue to spread your message? Well, they all have events coming up, by the yeah. way, so yeah. I might yeah. want to talk about that. <laughs> we I know. Uh, who's is first? Is Sylvia's yours golf tournament first? Mm-hmm. And then BJ's? You guys want to quickly touch on in the yep. walk as well? Uh, yep. yep. 
Um, Monday, May 20th, we're hosting our second annual Keep the Spark Alive golf tournament at Blue Hills Country Club. Um, the golf is sold out, but the That's dinner, um, you know, Jordan's joining us. There's still... Um, there's a cocktail hour that's going to have wine tasting. Um, we're blessed to have Blue Valley Education Foundation there to talk about the things we've done in the community, the things we've funded, and also two kids who have gone through some of the programs that we funded to talk about what Sources of Strength is, to talk about zero reasons why and their involvement in the community now to end this teen suicide epidemic. And um, also we have fun things for the adults like the dinner, entertainment, live and silent auctions. So that's coming up in May. Yeah, a month. A month. It's a month from today. Yeah. Cool. Or something like that. Um, Shifting Gears for Reagan is the foundation we started. Um, our focus is to bring awareness and prevention measures to rural communities. Um, in a lot of our rural communities around Kansas City, they don't have the same support that um, the more metropolitan area has. So we're really we're focused on that. And a, a big part of that comes from um, Reagan went to Paola High School. She is um, probably the first student that they have lost that's actually not already graduated. They've lost several kids after graduation. But actually still in school so it's they're a little bit further behind from some of the other districts and and how do they deal with this issue so that's really what our focus has been um, we have our first event coming up june 22nd it's a saturday it'll start with a 100 mile motorcycle ride um, obviously we had to tie in some type of ride That's with right. it. Some sort of wheeled um, vehicle. Yes, uh -huh. it has to be. And um, that is absolutely not my area. But um, so we'll do that. Um, it'll start in Paola. There'll be multiple stops along the way throughout the Kansas City area. And then it'll end in Spring Hill at a place called the Bowery, where we'll have, um, we're calling it an awareness festivity. And with that, um, we're going to have dinner and um, a live and silent auction, a live band, and just all types of different activities. We'll do yard games, things like that. Just a fun um, awareness event to try to educate people and raise money to continue to bring more awareness um, okay. programs to the community. And, and then I joined uh, the board of Speak Up after Lane died, um, and our goal and our mission basically is to get, if the kids won't talk to us, talk to each other. And so our focus has been to put teen-led mental health campaigns in the school um, and had a lot of luck over the last few years. I think we've reached 30,000 kids in the Kansas City area now through either our UBU campaign and we're sort of shifting focus to be on sources of strength, uh, which we worked with Johnson County Mental Health and Keep the Spark Alive this year to put in a lot of the Johnson County schools, and that's what we're going to do going forward. Um, we raise those funds primarily through our annual walk, our Speak Up Walk, which we do during Suicide Prevention Week in September. Um, and so we'll have one coming up on September 15th this year uh, out at Garmin again. They've been generous enough to host us. It's tough for me because that's usually Lane's angel date. Yeah. And and you can donate to each of our causes on our websites. Good. Um, Keep the Spark Alive or KTSA.org. Okay. And there's a donate button there. And we're, we're, uh, we're putting all those funds to real good use. 
BJ, the website for your organization is what? Um, actually, you have to start at our Facebook page, okay. shif- Facebook Shifting Gears for Reagan. And then um, we're still umbrellaed under Miami County Community Foundation. Okay. So it's mycocommunityfoundation.com. And Jan, for you, how people can? It's You can go to the website, www.speakup.us. So I, I have to end selfishly this last question um, because I'm a parent and lots of parents are going to listen to this. Because you guys have talked about every kid is different. There's no... This is the only thing that will stop it. This is the one thing that will stop it. So many parents are going to hear this. What What would you tell parents of kids of any age? Is it listen? Is it talk? There's no one thing, but what would you What do you tell parents as you go around and talk? It's talk, 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 talk. That's um, something that I really have been um, passionate about over the last 15 months. Um, when... Right after Reagan passed, um, I was sitting in a counseling session with Riley, and um, we were talking about just I feel like I had failed as a parent because I didn't recognize any signs. I didn't know that there was anything I needed to be looking for. Um, All of the checklists that they give you for these are the things that you need to be looking for. I wouldn't have marked any of those boxes with Reagan. So I felt like I had truly failed as a parent because I was being told that the signs are always there. You just miss them. And Riley's therapist said, you know that that's not true, right? You know that you're lying to yourself. And I said, no, why would, why would I know that? And she said, BJ, not every kid who takes their life necessarily had depression, there's other factors that are coming into play. Sure. And um, she shared with me a little tidbit that just completely blew me out of the water. So the minute we left, I'm calling Sylvia going, did you know? Did you know this? But what she said is the average, um, when you have a child who doesn't have any previous signs of suicide or mental health issues, it's 20 minutes from the time they think about taking their life till the time they attempt it. 20 minutes. That's mind-blowing. It is. So when you think about how frequently even you as an adult find yourself having a really bad day, like life has just really kicked you, um, think about the impact of that on a teenager. So they got a bad grade and mom and dad are going to be mad. They're their best friend isn't talking to them. Had a bad date, anything like that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. their boyfriend's breaking up with them, whatever. They didn't make the football team, whatever it is. And they find themselves in that dark moment. And so quickly they can make that decision that I just can't do this anymore. So um, we talked about it quite a bit and came up with um, a hashtag, give me 20. And it's just the idea of getting them to change their thought process so that instead of focusing on why they can't do this anymore, let's focus on the things that they have to live for. So then just in the last couple of months, probably, mm-hmm. um, Sylvia had gone to an event and one of the speakers on the panel talked specifically about that whole idea. At the American Public Square event that Core did, she yes. was a um, psychiatrist from Harvard. Yes. And- and she she actually said that the time is now more like ten minutes. And she she interviewed teens who had unsuccessful attempts and asked them 
how long they had thought about it before before trying implement mm-hmm. and it was 10 minutes and then of those kids 25% of them only talk, thought about it for 5 minutes before trying before trying wow. and then when we were down at the Spread Hope KC event that they they host at Chicken and Pickle which there's another one coming in May their third which is a phenomenal event each time um, they've had a psychiatrist from or a psychologist from Children's Mercy there and she talked to um, what she's seen in kids between five minutes to an hour you know so it is just a short amount of time and just in the last few months we're starting to hear um, the mental health um, specialists are starting to throw out those statistics that are really scary. So I'd say to parents, because you say, as a parent, what would you say to me? Yeah. Have a conversation. If you have the worst thing happen to you, what would you do? Right? And who would you call? Yeah. So if you went that down because the boyfriend broke up with you or you lost, you got a, you lost a big game or you got a bad grade or whatever it is, what would you do? Yeah. And have them have a plan in their mind. So if they're that devastated... In that five to ten minutes, they recall that conversation, in some cases have it written down, and they know the three people they are going to call to help them get through it. Even change the environment. Mm -hmm. Melanie was up across the hall from Chad, and he set his letter outside his door. If he would have taken two more steps. And come out of the room. And come out of the room. He would be here with us. Yeah. So change your environment. If you're in your room, get out of your room. If you're in your car, stop your car and walk. If you're anything to change up, getting through five, 10, 20 minutes. All part of that plan that Jan's referencing there. Just have something that you can refer to and say, this is my plan when I'm having a bad day. This is it. And knowing what you have to live for. Absolutely. Well, I, Jan, Sylvia, BJ, I can't thank you enough for being here. It's been incredible to have you here with us. Again, Jan Mar, Sylvia Harrell, and BJ Thomas, uh, they've talked about their organizations, the, the things they're doing to uh, to help parents, to help young people. Take advantage of that. Help them out if you can. Uh, Jordan Betts, thank you for sharing their story as well. And I know you've got more coming down the pike with this, right? I mean, they're the true stars at this and just telling their story. Again, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, 1-800-273-8255. Thank you all so much for being here, and thank you for listening to this very special edition of 41 Files. We'll see you next time.